Who heard that verse before, that, that third verse? Have you ever heard that third verse? That beautiful, very beautiful verse that uh, is in that song. One of the best songs, I think, out there. And uh, yes, it is a little bit of a strain for all of us, but doesn't he deserve our strain? Amen? And when you actually look at the words and you think about the words, they're powerful. Merry Christmas. I hope that you're uh, already having a good season. I know, um, I just want you to give yourself permission to show yourself grace. So many of us, I hear us talking about how we should be in the Christmas spirit. And you feel bad during the Christmas season about how you're not focused on Jesus. And I just want you to say, let go of that. Let go of that. Even in Christmas time, you can feel guilt. And I say, let it be gone. Amen? Amen. Do what you can do to worship the King. We are disciples of Jesus that worship him every day. And you are his disciples. And just enjoy worship him. Amen? You know how that is? You can feel like, oh, I need to be in the Christmas spirit because it's Christmas time. That's the world. That's not Jesus. Jesus never meant for you to feel guilty or feel like you're not on top of things. Amen? Can I get an amen? Can you guys give yourself a little pat on the back? You made it to church during the Christmas season. And you are striving to think like Jesus. Amen? All 365 days of the year. And I think whenever I think about living for God, if I'm doing it in joy versus guilt, I'd rather do it with joy. And I actually think God wants you to do it with joy. Do what you do for Christ for joy, with joy. And joy comes from the faith you have. And love comes from the faith you have. And, and, and that comes from Christ. Amen? So that was my little commercial message. Once you start feeling shame or guilt, I just want you to go, be gone, demon. Because that's the demons talking. You know, we are Christians. We should be not beating ourselves up all the time. Do you know why? Because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Recognize, hey, I might be a little too focused on what the world's focused on. Let me enjoy. Let go of that. Amen? Danielle's reading a book now um, about the Sabbath. And it's um, holy resistance toward, you know, the, the time, the timely, you know, rat race that's out there. And I love that, that, that you know, that resistance, you know, the rebellion that we need to have as Christians toward the world. Can I get an amen? amen. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the prophecies of the Messiah. Amen? And I'm so excited about this. It's one of the most enriching studies. Thank you. I think one of the things that I would say about this is that this is not just a one-time scripture, a one-time of looking at scriptures. This is something you should study out on your own. And um, it's an amazing, amazing study. And I'm going to try to do it justice today. Amen? Then we're also going to have uh, a surprise at the end of the service, which will be really exciting. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And you said, where is the Christmas tree, bro? Where's the, where's, where's the baby Jesus? Why do you have this robe with two guys? What's up with this? Glenn, I thought this was a Christmas sermon. And I'm going to say... Bear with me now, amen? Bear with me now. On the road to Emmaus, and I think some of us know where it's heading. Other of us don't know where it's heading. 
But it's all good. Just get on the road, right? Get on the road to Emmaus. And, and so we're going to read this passage together. I think after this passage, you'll understand why this is an amazing Christmas sermon. Amen? Uh, Luke 24. She's get, he's giving me an amen. She's giving me an amen right there. Luke 24, verse 13. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. This is awesome. I loved it. I mean, I keep coming back to the road to Emmaus, just in my own personal study. And I think the Holy Spirit's wanting me to go there a lot. Because this is right after his resurrection, okay? And everybody recognized Jesus when he was alive, but he just died three days ago. And so the brain plays tricks on you, right? If you're not expecting something, you, you won't see it. You know what I'm saying? And so essentially what's happening is Jesus strolls up on these people and is like, what's going on? How's it going? And they'll have a conversation and you'll see what happened. But this, just so you understand the understanding of this passage, Jesus already resurrected. They expect him still in the tomb. Something happened that was kind of crazy. They might have thought, oh, did the body get stolen? And they're a little downcast. They're a little sad because they were disciples of Jesus and they were hoping for the kingdom to come and the Messiah to be him. But the problem is, most messiahs don't die on the cross. And so they were very confused. And we're going to keep going here and, 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 and follow this, this story. Verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cloopus asked him, are you, he kind of like gave him a little jab. Are you the only... Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus, of course, I'm, I, there's a book I have in my library called Christ's Humor and how Jesus messed around with people and had a lot of fun. And this is one of those scriptures that you go, he didn't have to do it like this, but Jesus wanted to play along and was like, what things? And he played stupid. You know how that is. And, he, and then they said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all the rulers stand, handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. And this is where the hope downcast comes in. But we hoped, we hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of his companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, that's amazing. He said, that's amazing. That's an incredible story. That's pretty cool. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? He rebukes them. How foolish you are. <laughs> Imagine, you know, like stranger guy. You know, you, you don't know this guy. And he just turns to you and goes, how foolish you are. And you're like, whoa, I thought we were teaching you about what's happening. Now you're teaching us. And, you know, I'm sure they were shocked. They kind of woke up from their downcastness. 
And it says, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, in all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Guys, this is phenomenal. So this is a seven-mile walk, okay? And I, I figure out how long, if you just kind of stroll along, does it take to walk seven miles? You know, not those fast people. Speed walkers, you know what I mean? You've got to speed walk. They're not doing that. They're walking, you know, ever so briskly, but not too fast. And it takes about two hours. And so Jesus had like a two-hour Bible study with these guys going from Genesis all the way to Malachi, telling them every scripture that had to do with him. Let that sink in for a second. How incredible that must have been. I wish I was in on that Bible study. I wish I was taking notes in that Bible study. Guys, do you realize there's scriptures we don't even know about, I'm sure, that Jesus mentioned? The only reason we understand the Old Testament is because the apostles taught us what Jesus taught them. They were blind to it too. They didn't see it. Beginning from Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, he explained to them every scripture in the Old Testament that had to do with him. The, the prophecies of himself. There was a deep conviction that Jesus had that whatever was prophesied in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. And they didn't use the New Testament back then to convert people. They used the Old Testament. We all know that, right? Could you use the Old Testament to bring someone to Christ right now? I challenge you in the new year to use the Old Testament to study the Bible all the way through with someone. And try to see if you could get them there. Imagine that. Imagine doing that. And of course, you might have to get to the New Testament a little bit. But think about this. Let's go to Luke 24. In verse um, 44, he appears to the, the apostles. And he says, verse 44, this is, he's being resurrected. He just eats bread and some broiled fish right now. That's crazy, right? The resurrection doesn't mean he was a ghost. He was a physical body. We already talked about this in our, in our uh, study of the resurrection. But essentially, he was eating with them. But he was risen from the dead. And he had the marks. And he had the side. But he was resurrected. And he could interact with these people. And he proved to them that he resurrected from the dead with a body. Amen? A resurrected immortal body. And in verse 44, it says, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Here again, he says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Again, he's telling them. All of this must be fulfilled that's written about me in the Old Testament. And he, and he adds the Psalms here. He adds, he goes, the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible. Then he talks about the prophets, which is basically all of the Old Testament. But then he adds the Psalms. Amen. 
And essentially anyone who's speaking the word of God in, in the Old Testament is a prophet. So we can say all the prophets. That's another way he says. But he says, this is what is written in the Old Testament. That, that I'm going to raise from the third day. And I ask you, where is that in the Old Testament? Where does it say that he's going to rise in the third day? You can't just be a normal Bible studier to know that. You have to understand that it's in Psalm 16. And it also has to do with Jonah's story of the whale. Jonah prophesied? That disobedient prophet? Yes. He prophesied about the old, uh, the, the Messiah in the Old Testament. He prophesied. And they asked Jesus for a sign, right, in the Bible. And he says, no sign will be given except Jonah. It's like, what? What's that have to do with this? He said, just as Jonah was in the heart of the earth for three days and then came back out. So shall I be the son of man in the heart of the earth and come out again. So this is deep stuff. And people in the Old Testament thought differently than we do. A lot of us think literally, you know what I'm saying? Like A, one plus one equals two. That's not how prophecy is always fulfilled. It goes like, it's essentially, most of the time, it's a double prophecy, which is crazy. Like Isaiah 7.14 is not just prophesying about the virgin being, giving birth you know, to Emmanuel. It's also about this king that has the lineage of David that will continue that lineage. And so two prophecies in one. That's how awesome our God is. Amen? But you have to realize that this God has to build your faith. This has to build your faith. The Old Testament is... The Old Testament, it has not been written after Christ. It was written before. 750 years before, 1,000 years before, 1,500 years before. And we know that because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls prove that this was not written after. Many people, people tried to like, you know, hate on the Old Testament. Oh, that was written after Jesus was born. What's the oldest Bible you got? And honestly, at the time, they were like, our oldest Bible is 400 AD. Well, see, they must have wrote it after. And then, of course, a Muslim shepherd found the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's, by the way, the best right there. (laughs) God's like, let's get the Muslim little shepherd to find the biggest discovery in archaeological history. And the reason he did that is because the precious mountain lion that was going to kill him he, he would go into caves and he would throw rocks in there. And, and if he hear, you know, he'd go running. But he heard clay break. And he went in there and he found 50 <laughs> copies of Isaiah, the prophet. Not just one, 50. He found all of the, our Old Testament, it's, it's, it's not the same Old Testament that the people back in the first century used. Our Old Testament is the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Hebrew translation of the Old Testament. They use the Septuagint, which is a great version as well, was translated for the, for the Greeks, right? The Greek has to have everything in their language because they were the Greeks, right? So they had to have that translated in the Old Testament. Both are great versions. Both mean the same thing, but they're written differently. If you've noticed that, have, have, who's noticed that before? People have noticed that before. Who doesn't know what I'm talking about right now? Hopefully. Most people do. But we're about to go on the road to Emmaus together. We're about to go on the road to Emmaus. This Christmas sermon is meant to build your faith, 
and encourage your heart. And I thought about, okay, you might ask yourself, you know what, that, that scholarly stuff doesn't, I'm not down with that stuff, that scholarly stuff. It's a little over my head. Stop being lazy, church. There's richness when you get deeper. You know, richness. You go, oh, I don't want to hear this. This is kind of boring. It's like scholarly stuff. No, you can see the love of God in these Old Testament passages. God loves you so much that he planned this before the creation of the world, church. Before the creation of the world, Jesus was already ready to be slain as the Lamb of God. There was no surprise in the garden, church. God knew exactly what was going to happen. Why did he put him there? Because he knew that was the only way to capture our hearts. And the only way to give us choice. You know, I'm going to take it deeper in my study in 2020. And I hope you can, can think about that as well. One of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to study out Genesis as a deep book. I'm going to get into Genesis and I'm going to go deeper than I've ever gone before. I've gotten a bunch of commentaries. I'm going deeper into the book of Genesis. I'm going into Revelation. I want to go from the beginning and end. I want to hear both stories and connect the two because I need reference, right? I'm going to go into the Proverbs study. I'm going to go deeper into the Proverbs study. And last but not least, I'm going to study out the 475 verses of the personal Messiah. Okay, this book that came out, by J. Barton Payne, he says he did a whole study on all the messianic prophecies and all, all the prophecies of the Old Testament. This is a pretty, it's a pretty thick book. He says there's 127 messianic predictions, right? So think about that. Jesus was going through all these things, boom, 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 through all the scriptures the Bible says. Now, does that mean all the scriptures? I think it does. But maybe the way the Bible says is that most of the scriptures, I don't know. But two hours is a long time. And you know how Jesus spoke. He didn't say turn your Bibles. He just knew the Bible. Imagine that, just knowing the Bible. Isaiah 7.14 says this. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 say this. They didn't even have verses back then, by the way. That, that boggles your mind. They just said, this is what is written. And they made you figure it out. This is what is written by the prophet Isaiah. Where is it? Well, go to the, go to the temple... And look through that scroll until you find it. That's the one way to memorize it, right? You go, I'm not going to come back here. They, no, no one had Old Testament just kind of in their phone, right? I want to say this. The ease of understanding the Bible now with, with, with our phones is amazing. But it's also a crutch. Because we can be lazy. Just like everything else. Oh, Netflix is on my phone and so is the Bible. So I just do this and I can get any verse I want. But does it seep in your heart? And I want to encourage you to not be lazy, church. The deeper we go, the, the higher we grow. Amen? The deeper we go, the higher we grow. And so this man, this guy, Jay Barton, said there's 3,000 Bible verses in the Old Testament that prophesy about the Messiah. That was amazing. He said there's 570 verses directly talking about a personal Messiah. Unbelievable. Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy. I'm going through that thing. I might get lost in the forest. <laughs> but I'm going to be in awe of our God. Our God is a planning God. Our God is a visionary God. You know, our, we're thinking of making 2020 um, 
the, the theme being 2020 vision. You know, there's only going to be one 2020 and we need vision. So we thought, let's do 2020 vision. Amen. And, and you know what, church? God is the biggest visionary. Before he created the foundations of the earth, he was planning how to save you. Before he said, let there be light. Jesus said, I will do it. I will go and be separated from you forever. That's the love of our God. Amen. What's your Bible study plan for 2020? Start thinking about it now. Get excited. You know how you know you're fired up? When you're excited about it. You know, when you're excited about your quiet times, you're like, I can't wait to wake up and read this stuff. That's what you want your plan to be. You don't want to be like, oh, I can't wait to wake up and go through Leviticus. No, Leviticus is an amazing <laughs> book in the Bible. Let me say that. It's an amazing book. But for some of us, we need to get deeper in other parts of the Bible before we can understand Leviticus. Amen? Know yourself. You know, if, it, if using the Bible app excites you, use the Bible app. I'm not saying you have to be, you know, PhD scholarly guy, but you have to take it deeper. Whatever that means for you. Amen? That goes for the teens, too. We got teens studying the Bible. Get deeper. Oh, I'd rather watch some other thing. Yeah, we all would rather watch something else. Take it deeper. Amen? Take it deeper because you will find the riches in God's love. Amen? Let's go. First Peter. We're going to go through a lot of passages and... This is all going to be available to you on the app. It's already available on your app. If you, if you de- haven't downloaded the, our app, please do so. Um, Casco Bay Church app. And in it, there's two sermon notes. One is um, all the notes that are here. So you can study them out yourself over break. And then also, I have Handel's Messiah that we'll talk about at the end. Okay, Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah. What's that? Okay, we'll get into that. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says... He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was chosen before the creation of the world. What does that even mean? It means he was chosen to go to the cross before the earth was even created. That's amazing, right? Next thing he says in, 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 in Revelation 13, 8, it says, The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The lamb was already slain. See, that's how God thinks. He doesn't have time like you and I do. Judas already betrayed with 30 silver coins. You go, well, okay, Glenn, how do, you, how do people have choice then if, if he already sees the future? I know you're thinking that, right? Maybe you're not thinking that. Maybe you're like, you know, special service announcement. Sometimes I just zone out. Sometimes that happens to me too. But stay with me. But, you know, special service announcement. You're just smiling at me. You know, stay engaged. That, that essentially, if I'm looking from a tall building and I see two cars coming at each other, and I know they're going to crash into each other, I can see it. They're going 100 miles an hour. There's no stoplight. They're going to go and they're going to hit each other. I know it. It's going to happen. They're driving the car, though. They have the decision what they're going to do. Boom. They crash. Did I cause that? No, I saw that. And God's wisdom is amazing. I don't know about you, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but do you ever get that feeling like something's going to happen and then it happens? It's a little little crazy, right? It's a little crazy. I remember I was sitting at a golf, uh, you know, mini golf place, and I saw the same exact thing, two cars driving each other, and I'm licking my ice cream cone. I'm going, they're going to smash into each other, and they did. 
I was like 10 years old. You know, we have this, this sense that comes from God. We are made in the image of God. And so we have the sense. How much more God has the wisdom of God to understand this? Now, Judas was going to sell out him for 30 silver coins. It was going to happen. No matter what happened, he was going to do it. Amen? But he had the chance to repent. He didn't have to hang himself. That actually wasn't prophesied. He could have repented, guys. I mean, Peter, could he repented. And what's worse? You know, betraying or denying? I, I don't know. To me, sometimes denying. Like if Jesse and I... I'd rather him betray me than deny that he knows me because he's embarrassed about me. That's rough. What's, what's more hurtful to God? I, I don't know. But both of them could have repented. Wouldn't Judas be the most amazing apostle? But he wasn't able to do that because he couldn't. He didn't understand God's grace. We need to be understanders of God's grace or else we'll be like Judas. Hang ourselves spiritually instead of sticking it out. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That, that's not an Old Testament passage, but I want you to know that God so loved us that he planned for the Messiah to come. Isn't that amazing? He so loved us that he did that. Um, this is another passage that's amazing. Um, so Peter draws his sword up and is about to you know, try to protect Jesus in the garden. And he says, Do you not think that I can call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Guys, I started breaking down and crying when I thought about this passage. So many things in this passage. Yes, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. And, and destroy the whole world and stop everything right now. But he said, then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that, that say it must happen in this way? Do you realize that God set this up even the way this must happen? If you had to die for humanity and you didn't do nothing wrong, wouldn't you think to do it a little less gruesome on yourself? But he knew that this was the only way. I would have chose beheadedness, you know, the Paul way of dying. I would have chose that. Quick and, quick and painless. But Jesus didn't choose it that way. You know, the lamb that was slain, the Bible says. Lambs actually have it easier than Jesus did. Lambs just come up to the altar, bam, cut the head off, and you offer it, right? That's basically what happens. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. When lambs get sacrificed or get, you know, butchered, they don't make a peep. I guess they're not smart enough to understand and see the knife, right? Goats are our understanding of it, though. They'll fight you, right? But lambs don't. And that's why Jesus, he just went to the cross on his own. So much to say about that, that, that it had to happen this way. Lord, why did it have to happen this way? Why did he have to happen this way? You had to get spit on and punched and put thorns in your head. And you had to go into a time period where it was awful and all these babies died and you could have died. You put yourself in that position. Why? Well, because it had to happen this way. 
Well, why did it have to happen this way? Because your heart wouldn't have been changed without it happening this way. Wow, amazing. So, these are some of my favorite Old Testament Messiah passages. And I just want you to know what Messiah means. First, it means anointed one, which is kind of cool. Anointed one. It comes from Psalm 22-2 and Daniel 9-25. And it was the Jewish custom when a priest was anointed, when a priest came into uh, to office, they would anoint him with oil. And when a king would come into office, they would anoint the king. You can remember David, right? And how he was anointed by Samuel before anyone knew it. And so, too, the Messiah was anointed before anyone knew it. Amen? And that's why they call him the Messiah, the anointed one. Amen? There's a prophecy that said that the Messiah will be God himself and will be appointed to sit on David's throne forever. Acts 3.18 says, God fulfilled what was prophesied about Jesus' sufferings. God fulfilled what was prophesied about Jesus' sufferings. Everything in the Old Testament, every Old Testament prophecy, every New Testament prophecy must be fulfilled. We have to think about that for a second. People can argue the Bible all they want, but all of it came true. All of it has come true and all of it will come true. It's intense to think about, right? That every promise that God makes, he owns and he does. And so when we read these Old Testament passages in Jesus' mind... He thought, this is the plan. It's already done. It must be fulfilled now, but it's already done. So let's go back, way back. Genesis 3.15, you can write these passages down. This is right after Adam and Eve um, ate the fruit. And look what God says to the snake. And I will put an amenity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Who's the woman? Well, some people say Mary, or just woman himself. Or you could even say the church. But probably the woman is Mary. And this offspring will crush your head, snake, the devil. But he will strike your heel. Interesting. This is in Genesis 3, guys. This gives me faith that absolutely was planned before the creation of the world. So many people talk just sarcastically and foolishly about the, 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 the garden scene. You know, the, the Eden scene. Oh, that can't be true. Oh, that didn't happen. Were, were you there? <laughs> no, you weren't. How can you say that so confidently? Jesus said it happened. Adam was a real person. Eve was a real person. And right when the snake did it, he he prophesied it. Gen- Genesis 49.10 is one of my favorite ones. He's, he's giving different prophecies about the 12 sons of, of Jacob, right? Or, or Israel, right? And he goes to Judah, okay? And Judah, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. This is before there was kingships. They were just a bunch of shepherds, guys. They weren't even in a land. They were in the desert land. And he's saying, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come. Doesn't that put chills down your spine? 
until he who claims it to one who belongs. And the obedience of the nation shall be his. Genesis 49, guys. Talking about Judah. Amazing. Deuteronomy 18, this is the one that you know. The Lord your God, this is Moses talking, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Wow. Deuteronomy 18. What are the similarities between Christ and Moses? Both escaped as babes from death. Crazy. Was not an Egyptian, but lived among Egyptians. So did Jesus. Was raised from the legal right to become a king, but belonged to the nation oppressed by a pagan and foreign government. Was raised from the legal right to become king, but belonged to the nation, Judah, ruled by a pagan and foreign governor. Freed his people from slavery through a lamb without blemish. A male of the first year. Freed his people from sin through his own blood, being the Lamb of God without blemish. Came out of Egypt, returned out of Egypt. Passed through the Red Sea, passed through the water of baptism. Spent 40, days in the, 40 years in the wilderness, spent 40 days in the wilderness. Fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, so did Jesus. While in the wilderness was administered by an angel and was tempted. While in the wilderness was administered by angels and was tempted. Gave the law from the mountain. Gave the new law from the mountain of transfiguration. And there's like 15 more of these guys. How about this big one? When Moses died, no one could find his body. When Jesus died, no one could find his body. Doesn't that make you amazed? Moses, did he know what he was talking about? Yes and no. He didn't know the Messiah was coming. He did know, but he didn't know fully all that it meant. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. He's speaking to David. He's speaking to David after David says, I live in a palace and God lives in his tent. Forget that. I'm making a temple for him, right? Love that. And God's so moved by it, he says, you will have someone sitting on the throne forever. And who is in the lineage? Christ is in the lineage of this amazing king, David. But faulty king, amen? This scripture just is like... <clears throat> Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He says, But you, Bethlehem of Ephrah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. From ancient times. Other version says, from eternity. Actually, if you look up that word, ancient times, it means eternity. What? This is Micah. This is, this is you know, 500, 500, 600 years before Christ. And I love how Jesus was from Nazareth, so he kind of, they, they labeled him as Jesus of Nazareth, but where was he born? In Bethlehem. Why? Because there was a census where they all needed to go. He was born in Bethlehem. But God's wisdom put it, he didn't want to be noticed. He wanted it by faith, so he moved them out to Nazareth. And so he's known as Jesus of Nazareth. And they, I love the Pharisees, these, these silly Pharisees. They said, well, didn't you know the Messiah is going to have to come from Bethlehem? You're from Nazareth. That's what it says. And I bet Jesus just smiled and went, I am from Nazareth. 
You know? God wants to be believed by those who want to be believed. Revelation says, let him who is wicked be wicked. Let him who is righteous be righteous. God's not begging people to believe in him. We shouldn't either. But this is an amazing passage. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Isaiah 7 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This word virgin has been talked about by so many people. Alma. That means a young woman. There's no way. First of all, a young woman having a baby, why would that be a sign? First of all. Second of all, the Septuagint, Alma, when translated by the Jewish people, by the way. The Jewish people translated the Septuagint from Hebrew to Greek. They put virgin. Then they changed it back to Alma, young woman. Interesting. Interesting. This word Alma absolutely means virgin. And yet, we don't want, we don't want to do it. We don't want to say it's virgin. This is a sign that if the world would wake up and see it as a sign, would come believers. I remember talking to this accountant guy uh, who, who was at UMass Boston. He, he was like, so you, uh, he was a New York accountant from New York, and he also was Jewish. And he's like, so uh, you, you like the Bible, huh? Can you show me a passage in the Bible? We're in the, uh, we're in the, the you know, cafeteria, and I'm like, sure. I just learned these prophecies, so I'm like, let's go to Isaiah 7, 14. I look at them, and I go, what's it mean? What's it, what's it saying here? Who's this about? I just wanted to see what he said. He said, that's talking about Jesus. And I'm like, have you ever read the Bible before? He's like, no. <coughs> well, this is in your Bible. He's like, that's in my Bible. He's like, you need to go around and tell all the temples that. If they see this, they'll believe. And I was like, I think you're wrong, you know, about that. But I appreciate your zeal. I asked him to study the Bible. He said, well, the problem is I don't even believe in God. So I got a problem. First, I got to believe in him. Then I'll file the Messiah. I was like, okay. <laughs> he gave me an A, though, which I appreciate. But, but, you know, it's amazing when you look at this passage. This passage is amazing. For to us, a child is born. First of all, what, what child is born that you call wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace? I mean, you know, I really love, you know, Daniel. He's an awesome kid. But I'm not going to call him everlasting father. <laughs> Do you know? He's cute, man. And he's, I can say a lot of adjectives, but it's not going to be mighty God. 750 years before, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's pretty amazing. How does a child have a government on his shoulders? We get worried about our government, right? Jesus got it. It's on his shoulders. Don't worry about the government. Don't worry about the government. Jesus got it on his shoulders. Amen? The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and holding with righteousness and justice from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Isaiah 52. See, my servant will act wisely. 
He will be raised and lifted high, exalted, just as you were many were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Isaiah, the whole chapter, 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. 750 years before Christ came. Psalm 16.10 Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Peter used this in the, in, the, in the preaching of Pentecost. And he said, I can tell you confidently that David's body is decaying right now in the tomb. David was not talking about himself. David wrote this song. He was, but he wasn't. Obviously, he believed in the resurrection. But it was about Jesus. He did not see decay. Three days is the time period when your body starts decaying. And that's why three days was so important. He did not see decay. Remember Lazarus, four days, right? He was in the tomb for four days. And Mary was like, he's smelling, Jesus. I don't know if we want to go in there. But three days, his body did not see decay. That's amazing. It's not just about resurrection. His body didn't see decay. You can write these passages down, 22, 6 through 8. He says, you will, this is written a thousand years before Jesus came to earth. And he says, you will, you've pierced my hands and you've pierced my feet. This is a crazy passage, by the way. Because in this passage, David is prophesying what's going to be said at the cross verbatim. He said, people say, you trust in God, let God save you now. They were chanting that at Jesus while he was on the cross. God saw even the mockery that was going to happen at the cross. They will cast lots for my clothing. It says in Psalm 22, 6. Crazy. And I think he remembered the psalm when they were saying that. And he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me from Psalm 22? And these foolish people thought he's calling Elijah. But he was actually pointing them to an Old Testament passage about his death. Even on the cross, Jesus was trying to save the people that put him there. Wow. Daniel 7.13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Son of Man. That's what Jesus called himself all the time. The Son of Man. When he comes back. This passage is amazing. Who knows Malachi 3? You go to Malachi 3 for Old Testament prophecies? I don't. But look what it says. I will send my messenger, John the Baptist, who will prepare the way before me. Then Son of the Lord will be seeking, will come to his temple... He came to the temple. Remember, he cleared it out. <laughs> the messengers of the covenant whom you desire will come, said the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
for he will be like a refiner's fire of launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify the silver. He will purify the Levites, the priests, and refine them like gold. I'm sorry. Refine them like gold. Then the Lord will have, will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. Another passage here. That's Malachi 3. This is talking about Judas selling them out. He says, um, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, Hemel, son of Shalom. Your uncle is going to come to you and say, Buy, buy my field at Amaloth, because as the nearest relative, it is your right and your duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hamil came to me in the courtyard and guard and said, Buy my field at Amaloth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Amaloth from my cousin Hamil and waited for 17 shekels of silver. It's a passage here. Um, this passage says, Actually, go to Zechariah 11 if we can. I messed that up. Go to Zechariah 11. How are we doing? Zechariah 11. Zechariah is at the end of the Old Testament, right before Malachi. Zechariah um, 11, 12 through 13. It says... I told them, if you think it's best, give me my pay, for if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price of which they value me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. This is super convicting, guys. First of all, 30 pieces of silver was used to buy slaves. You could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver. Remember what, so, so, so what, did, what did Judas do? He said, this is my slave Jesus. You can have him. Man, that's super intense, isn't it? 30 pieces of coin was what slaves were bought by. And then what did he do? He, he was, it was guilt money. So he said, you have it back, Right? And then the Pharisees, who are so righteous, said, we can't take this. This is blood money. Uh, McFly, what are you talking about? You just said it's blood money. Why did you do that? But instead of repenting, they said, we need to be righteous. So let's buy a potter's field. Where the poor can use to bury their, their poor. And they, may, they ease their conscience, right? Crazy that Zechariah and Jeremiah prophesy about this. We can go on and on, amen? But the last passage is in Zechariah 12. And it says, I will pour out on the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. Love that. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for the only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Wow. Who is pierced? Jesus. Who brought grace and supplication? Jesus. Amazing. Zechariah, Old Testament passage. Whew! How are we doing? I want to stimulate your brain and your heart to get into these Old Testament passages. 
to get deeper in your Bible study, to understand that Christ came not by accident. Christ came not by some, like, you know, just sort of thought that God had. It wasn't last minute. It was planned before the creation of the world. I also want to give you more culture, amen? Culture. Who feels like they're cultured? Raise your hand. That, see, me, me and Heritakis. That means we're not cultured, probably. But, but you know, what does it mean to be cultured? It means that you, you, you continually learn things, amen? You're not just Red Sox, Patriots all the time. Although, I love the Red Sox and Patriots. Ken's looking at me like, what's wrong with the Red Sox? I'm not saying, I'm saying get deeper. Now, Ken is very cultured, too. But it means there's things in this world that, that, that can stimulate your worship of God. And one of those things for me is Handel's Messiah. Has anyone ever listened to Handel's Messiah? A lot of that people have, which is great. I love that. So let me tell you the story of Handel's Messiah as we end. And, and I'm going to talk about one man's study of the Old Testament, how it changed the world. How it changed the world. So... Handel was a famous opera composer, and he was big time in London. I mean, he was huge in London. Everyone loved him, and he did it in you know, Italian, which is the typical opera language. But the people in England got sick of that opera, and the time started changing, and they're like, oh, they, he was about to retire, and Handel was about to retire because he was like, they don't like my operas anymore. I'm going to retire. And this guy, Charles Jennings, came to him, and he was a deep biblical theologian from the Anglican uh, church. And he said, I got something for you, something for you to write, Handel. It's going to change the world. I call it Messiah. And it's all the Old Testament passages that I've studied out. I want you to make this into an opera. And he was like, okay. And I don't want you to do it in Italian. I want you to do it in English so that everyone can understand it. And it's going to change the world. Okay? So he got the lyrics. And all the lyrics are from the Old Testament. All the lyrics are prophecies of the Messiah, both in the Old and New Testament. And it starts from from the very first passages all the way to the end. And it's amazing. It talks about John the Baptist coming. It talks about his death on the cross. It talks about his resurrection. It's two and a half hours long. So... It was all taken out of the King James Bible. And he took this, and he was so inspired. Handel was so inspired to do this. He composed it in 24 days. This two-and-a-half-hour opera did it in 24 days with a quill pen. (laughs) Let's just think about that. Was he not inspired? He was divinely inspired, I believe. People would come to his house and he was sobbing on the floor with his face down during this composition. And he said, I have seen the very throne room of God. Talk about Bible study right there. He wrote this opera. People think, people have tried to copy the Handel's Messiah. People who know how to write music have tried to copy Handel's Messiah in 24 days and haven't been able to do it. I don't know what was going on in that house, but something amazing happened. At the end of it, he wrote 
Most people write their name at the end of an amazing piece like that. He didn't do that. He wrote solo Dio Gloria, which means to God alone be the glory. So this opera comes out and people are blown away by it. And they want to use it to be evangelistic. Because in England at the time, deism was great and the lack of faith in Jesus was not strong. And so they went through the land and they played this opera. And a lot of the clergy people said, it must be sung by spiritual people, not pagans. And Handel said, why should we have that? We should have the best singers sing and they should be pagans because pagans need Jesus. So we're going to get the best. That The person that leads the singing, she's an adulteress. Exactly. Jesus would have them sing. And so she had all these worldly people singing Handel's Messiah and they were becoming converts of Christianity. You can't sing something like this and not think and not move, be moved by it. Then they started doing charity events with it and it letter, literally fed thousands of orphans. Just this one work that Handel did. And it also, there was thousands of people in debtor's prison, which back then, if you couldn't pay your debt, you couldn't go bankrupt. You had to pay for it by going to debtor's prison. And you had to pay your debt. Five years is this much. Ten years is this much. So these people who were poor, in a very poor part, there was a big-time rich population, a big-time poor population. They freed hundreds of people from debt, from debtor's prison, with this amazing Messiah. It truly was amazing. I want you to listen to it. Okay? We're not going to do two and a half hours right now. Amen? You're like, amen? But one of the things I did is, on the app, I put something else there. I put something that's called Handel's Messiah. And I want you to do it for your quiet time, if you can. Now you go, I don't like opera. I know. You like that hip-hop. I know. I know you like country. But I want you to give it a chance, okay? So in the little part of your app, you'll see Handel's Messiah, and it's a link to a YouTube page that gives you the whole thing for free. And then in it, again, are the lyrics, which I think is really cool. You go through each song, and then you go through each lyric and see the Old Testament passage in them. And the one that I want to play for you now is called To Us a Child is Born. And it's amazing. And it's out of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. To us a child is born, and he shall be wonderful, counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And just hear how they sing it and feel the music, and then we'll have something else, a little concert afterwards from really short people. <laughs> Handles aside.
I thought I was videoing it the whole time. Now I'm videoing it. I didn't even video it the whole time. We got the video. <laughs> that to you. Ooh, there's shakers. Come on now. I wanna wish you a merry 